Good morning. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Our Father, we come here today, some of us with very little peace in our lives. This week has brought burdens and pain. And so we come imploring you to come today by your Spirit and touch us deeply that we might see Jesus, in whose powerful name we pray. Amen. Years ago, I picked up the phone, an old landline, to make a call. Someone else was calling, and it had not yet had the chance to ring. If you're over 35, you know what I mean. I quickly realized that it was a wrong number. And yet the lady on the other end hears my voice and she's going, hello, hello. And I say, yes, hello. And she says, is this the adorable poodle? And there was a dog grooming place here in Maitland, if you recall, on 1792 called the adorable poodle. And I replied, I've been called a lot of things. But I've never been called that. Names and titles can be so very expressive and powerful. Societies and cultures are built upon names. And today we're going to talk about names and titles and labels. Our scripture this morning is found in Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. Hear the word of God. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is entering into a region that was known as the den of iniquity, pure evil, And he asked his first question to his followers. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus, in this question, uses a title, a self-designation, Son of Man for himself. And this is actually from Daniel 7. And it's not a statement of his humanity. It's a statement of his divinity. In Matthew 26... Right after the resurrection, which we celebrate in two weeks, and I hope you're preparing yourself for that great celebration day. Jesus said, But I tell you, from now on, you shall see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The words of Jesus, as brief as they are here, are full of meaning. Who do people say the Son of Man is? The disciples respond by saying what the word on the street is. They say, some say John the Baptist and some Elijah and some Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now remember that one time before this, Jesus had come walking to them on the water when they were in the boat. And they had said at that time, truly, you are the son of God. 
But Jesus now in this dialogue says, but you, who do you say that I am? Jesus wants to know who he is to his followers. And of course, Simon Peter, the spokesman for the group says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He does not say you are Jesus calling him by name. He proclaims that he is the Christ. Simon is declaring Jesus to be the anointed one, the mediator, the true prophet, the only high priest, the eternal king. And upon Simon's getting it straight, who Jesus truly is, Jesus gives a blessing and he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. And he confirms the name change that he had already given to him. You are Peter. You are the rock. And on this truth, which you affirm, Jesus was saying, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not stand in the way of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and of the power of the gospel of grace. Hell, we know, has its strongholds in our world and in our cities, and there is a constant battle going on in our very lives. But the church, the gospel, is an offensive weapon, not defensive, but offensive weapon that invades the darkness, bringing light, driving hell out. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is what Jeff has been saying to us about, about the power of the love of, the, of Christ to banish hell to its proper place. Jeff, this week, is in Virginia preaching at a missions conference um, at one of our sister churches there, the church that Doug Kittredge pastors. He's preached here, and some of you have gone on the trip um, to Israel that Doug and Jeff have led together. English scholar and songwriter from the last century, Sabine Barring Gold, penned these words, Crowns and thrones may perish, kingdoms rise and wane, but the church of Jesus constant will remain. Gates of hell can never against that church prevail. We have Christ's own promise, and that cannot fail. In this brief story in Matthew, six verses... We see the use of names and titles, descriptions, renaming more than a dozen times. There's Jesus, there's the disciples, Son of Man, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, Simon, Christ, the Son of the Living God, Simon Barjona, my father, Peter, this rock. Amazing. We cannot live without communicating names. Have you ever thought about that? So what's in a name? We know that names carry great meaning and significance. Many of our names here in the West have meaning because we name someone after another person. And sometimes we just choose a name because we like the sound of it. I'll take my own family um, as an example. My name, Joseph Leslie Creech. Joseph I was named after the one who became my favorite uncle. Actually, my favorite great uncle. Leslie Creech. I did not like my middle name. 
all the Leslies I knew growing up were girls. Really nice girls. Or they were guys who did not wear Leslie well. Now, I will say, Les Eisermund has helped salvage that name for me. Les, wherever you are, thank you. Um, Joseph, my son, is not a junior. I wasn't going to do it to him. His middle name is Samuel. Sarah Jane. Sarah came from her grandmother, Rita's mom. Jane, from the friend who became like a mother to Rita upon her mom's death. Jonathan and David are twins. We love the biblical best friends, Jonathan and David, and we were hoping that our boys would become best friends also, and they have. Jonathan Owen. Owen is a family name of best friends to us. David Alexander. Alexander was taken from Rita's dad, Alex. Now, I will tell you that if I had been born 48 hours earlier, you would not know me. I was born two days after Valentine's Day. And had I been born on Valentine's Day, my mother was going to name me Valentino. (laughs) And she would have done it, and I would have left home at a very early age. (laughs) And it just would not be right for you to be here this morning listening to Valentino Creech preach. My granny, when we were heading to Mexico in 1979, Rita was pregnant with Joseph. And the last thing she said to us was, don't you dare name that baby some Mexican name. And I said, granny, my birth certificate shows my mom's name that you gave to her. Her name, her given name is Carmencita Gonzalez. She didn't make the connection, but Joseph got her back. Joseph got her back. He married his Mexican sweetheart, Sadie Elizabeth Plata Mendoza, now Creech. We use many titles to speak to or about one another. There's doctor and boss and teacher and pastor and so many others. We go to nicknames. Many of them are terms of endearment and fun. There's sweetie and there's honey. There's the diminutive that we might use for um, Billy or Danny or Johnny Boy or Little Joe. Um, There are initials that we might use. There's AJ and there's GG and there's JD. Or we might just use the last name. My son David at college is just called Creech. Nicknames also can be used in a very harmful way. And sometimes they're based on our physical appearance. And so there are nicknames like Fatso, or Beanpole, or Curly, or Cue Ball, or Four Eyes, or Motor Mouth. Many of those terms might even be used behind our backs. Okay, names are important for us. But were they really all that important in Bible times? In Scripture, names have even greater significance and meaning. From our recent study in Ruth that Jeff has been leading us through, we know that Elimelech had the rich meaning of God is our King. 
Naomi, his wife, meant pleasant. The two daughter-in-laws and widows, Ruth meant friend. Orpah meant stubborn or stiff-necked. The lady our country knows as Oprah was to be named Orpah, but the name was recorded incorrectly on her birth certificate, for which she has been very grateful, I'm sure. Boaz meant in him is strength. And we could be here the rest of the day talking about the meaning of biblical names. But let's consider for just a moment the names of God himself. God is so amazingly gracious to reveal himself to us through his names. He calls himself El Shaddai, God Almighty. El Elyon, the Most High God. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And we could go on with his names for a very long time. And then at times in Scripture, no name is used of God, but the term name is used. Abraham called on the name of the Lord. The Lord proclaimed his own name before Moses. The name of the Lord was not to be taken in vain. The priests of Israel were to minister in the name of the Lord. And then we get to the New Testament. Salvation is through His name. Believers are together in His name. Prayer is to be made in His name. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Hallowed be Thy name. The book of Acts speaks of worship and service and suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. The fact is, names are crucial to us. They were of great importance in biblical times, and we could hardly exist without the use of names. How many times this week will you be asked to give your name? How attached to your name are you? How do you respond or how do you feel when someone pronounces your name incorrectly or they misspell your name? The changing of names was also common in Scripture. God gave many people new names. Naomi apparently renamed herself after losing her husband and sons. And she called herself Mara, Mrs. Bitter. Abram, meaning high father, had his name changed to Abraham, meaning father of many. After wrestling with God, Jacob his name meaning trickster or deceiver, had a name change to Israel, which meant wrestling with God. In the book of Hosea, his son, Lo-Ami, meant not my people. What a sad name. But God changed his name to Ami. You are my people. There was always purpose and new beginnings with the change of names. It works the other way as well. The Babylonians understood the importance of names being changed. So when they conquered Jerusalem and carried the people off captive, they changed their names as well in order to try to get rid of the former identity. Daniel, meaning God is my judge, is renamed Belteshazzar because the Babylonians did not want Daniel's God honored, but rather the pagan god, Bel. Thus, Belteshazzar. 
Likewise, the three friends, Hananiah, Misael, and Asariah, they were renamed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you know what? Those three names stuck. God changes a person's name to establish a new identity. Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter when he called him. And Jesus reconfirms this when Simon makes his proclamation that Jesus is the Christ. Peter did not earn this name for himself. But Jesus gave him the name and then gave him the ability to live up to that name, the rock. The changing of names is also something that happens in our society. We change lots of names, not just of people. Many of you have gone into restaurants and you have ordered Orange Ruffy. And you know why you have ordered Orange Ruffy? Because you wouldn't order it if you knew the real name. The real name is Slimehead. I'd like some Slimehead, and would you blacken it for me, please? It just wouldn't sell. Okay, let's go back to people. It seems that about half the people in Hollywood have changed their names in order to have a better stage name, a better identity. Fred Astaire, his real name is Frederick Austerlitz. Jennifer Aniston was christened Jennifer Anastakis. Jack Black is really Thomas Black Jr. Tom Cruise, his name, Tom Mapplethare. Hmm. What about Doris Von Kappelhoff? Some of you know who that is. Doris Day. Whoopi Goldberg's real name is Karen Johnson. Walter Matthau's real name is Walter Matuschanskyski. Man, 17 letters long. No wonder he changed it. Chuck Norris is really Carlos Ray. Sort of like that one. Um, Winona Ryder was Winona Horowitz. Bruce Willis was Walter Willison. And then my favorite, Hulk Hogan. His real name is Terry Jean Bollea. Give me Leslie. Terry Jean Bollea for Hulk Hogan. That reminds me of the Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. The song tells the story of Sue's quest for revenge on a father who had abandoned him at age three. And the only contribution this father had made to this young son was to give him the name Sue. And of course, that name resulted in much ridicule. And Sue vowed to find and kill his father for giving him that awful name. Sue finds his father. And that's hard to say. If you're learning English, I know Sue finds his father just doesn't sound right. So don't take grammar lessons here today. He found his father in a joint in Gatlinburg, and he confronts him by saying, My name is Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. There's a big fight, and Sue's father explains that he wasn't going to be there, and he knew he wasn't going to be there, and he wanted to make the boy tough, so he named him Sue. Well, they end up reconciling, and then Sue closes the song with the promise to name his son Bill or George, or anything but Sue. In a fallen world, we change names, often to the bad. Names that bring shame and hurt. And you know how we do it? 
We do it by labeling. People commit what Scotty Smith would call spirit homicide by branding with hurtful names. Their names like bozo and stupid and useless, idiot, good for nothing, failure, worthless, never to be trusted again, guilty. Have you written off someone with your words? Some here have taken the words spoken to you and the events of your life, and you have named yourself some of these very titles. There are names that I could not even mention from this pulpit today that some of you have had to bear in this life. If you work with children or youth in school or sports or in any capacity, don't label a child. Don't label a team. Don't label a class. We live up to our labels. And if you tell me I am good for nothing, you know what? I may just well show you how good for nothing I am. You young people here, don't let your friends label others around you. Stand up for what is right. Some of us need to fall on our faces and confess the spirit homicide, the deep damage to another person that we have inflicted upon them, sometimes those we love the most. Names give an identity. The name often becomes a describer of who we are. If you had to give yourself one title, perhaps one adjective to describe who you are in the depths of your being, what would it be? Would it be happy, content, fulfilled, focused, friendly? Would it be worried, frustrated, angry, afraid, guilt-ridden, burdened, lonely, outcast, bitter, wounded? We have an enemy named Satan who wants to give us false identities. He will lie to you. He wants to steal your true identity in Christ. The truth this morning is that Satan whispers and sometimes even screams hurtful names to you. And another lie he tells you is that you're the only one. Everybody else sitting around me didn't have to deal with these things. The truth, my friends, is that everyone sitting here has been told lies by the enemy. Everyone has been labeled somewhere along the line in their lives. Well, no matter what your name is, you have to answer the same questions the disciples answered. Who do you say that Jesus is? Was he just a man? Was he a good teacher only? Or do you see him as did Peter, the Christ, the Son of the living God, the only mediator between God and man. Seeing Jesus accurately changes people. Romans 10 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be changed, will be saved. It changes everything. Your heart, your actions, your thoughts, and for some, your name. A new identity is given. 
We must listen to what God has to say about us. Don't dare base your identity on what others say or think about you. And don't base your identity on what you think about yourself. Justin Buzzard, talking about names, writes this, The gospel doesn't just free you from what other people think about you. It frees you from what you think about yourself. I want to leave you today with the words, the describers, the identity that God has already given to you and about you in His Word. This is what God has to say about you. You are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You are a saint. You are God's temple. You have been justified. You are adopted. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's workmanship. You are accepted. You are secure. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are salt and light. You are part of Christ's body. You are hidden with Christ in God. You are free from condemnation. You are bought with a price. You belong to God. You are assured that all things work together for good. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You are beloved. You are precious in His sight. You are called by name. Our names. Sometimes we strive to make a good name for ourselves, thinking that puts us into a right relationship with God. We might do something that makes us famous or infamous, and our names go down in history to mean a certain action or take on a descriptive activity. If you're called Judas, you know what that means. If I say she is a Mother Teresa, you know exactly what that means. If I say he's a Benedict Arnold, you know. Your name could become a verb. And if it did, what would it mean? What would it show about the essence of your character? Years ago, Xerox fought against the use of its name becoming a verb, describing the actual copying of a page wanting the name to be identified only with the company. So you would Xerox something, or you wouldn't Xerox something. You would make a copy of something on a Xerox machine. Rollerblade was the same. It wanted to be a brand, not an activity. Today, a company has succeeded perhaps more if it does become, if its name does become a verb, and of course, if it has sales. So we Google something, or we Facebook, or we Skype somebody, and then the name Tebow has become an action, as we all know about Tebowing. What would you think if someone were to bring up the name like Casey Anthony? or Jerry Sandusky, there may be a very visceral reaction there because of what those names have come to mean. What about if someone were called a Scatino? Remember the sea captain of the Costa Concordia, which capsized in Italy a couple months ago? 
right after he capsized, this shirt appeared with his name and chicken of the sea. You know, we could laugh at that, but what roles have we abdicated? And how close are we sometimes to walking out on our responsibilities? Our names, as good as they are, will never be good enough. Our names, our character, our actions can never put us into right relationship with the Father. Our stuff, our jobs, our family, our accomplishments, our names do not put us in God's favor. There's only one name that matters, and it is the name of Jesus. His name is the only name that will put you into a right relationship with God the Father. Philippians 2 says it this way, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we identify who Jesus truly is, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Redeemer, Jesus gives us a new name. Revelation 2 says it this way. Jesus speaks to his followers at Pergamum. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. He says, I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it. Now, I don't understand how Jesus giving us a new name like this works. But we all need a new name, a new identity. And through the ministry of Barnabas and Paul in Acts 11, we are told that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Do you know that you bear the name of Jesus Christ if you are his follower. You, we, are called Christians. Wear that name well. Be proud of it. Don't you dare be more proud to wear the name of some sports team or university than you are to wear the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about clothes here. I'm talking about the essence of who you are in your very being. We don't have to be proud of what some people who call themselves Christians have said or what they do. But we must let Christ fill that word with its meaning and with its power. Alexander the Great was one of the greatest military commanders of all time. He conquered most of the known world to the ancient Greeks. And one day a cowardly soldier was brought to him who had run away during the battle. And Alexander the Great said, Soldier, what's your name? Alexander, sir. Alexander the Great asked again, Soldier, what's your name? And he said, Sir, my name is Alexander. And the third time, Alexander the Great asked, What is your name? And he said meekly one more time, My name is Alexander, sir. 
And Alexander the Great looked straight at that guy in the eye. And he said, soldier, either change your name or change your conduct. The name changes everything. How amazing that Jesus Christ has shared His very name and title with us, that we would be called Christians by His grace. May that name bring great honor to Him as we wear it. The Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. You're not called as a Christian to live alone. You're called Christians. The Christian life is a community activity. Let's wear the name Christian together with such joy and such love that we are changed, our community is changed, and our world is changed. May they know we are Christians by our love. Christian, what a name to bear. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to you today in the only name that matters, the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Father, forgive us for when we have relied on our own names, our own power. Forgive us when we have been guilty of naming others inappropriately. Father, we have no righteousness of our own. Thank you for the righteousness of Christ that you have imputed to us. Father, we know that all that we have comes from you. So, as our name is Christian, we want to give our very lives to you, our Lord. And Father, we come even now, bringing our tithes and our offerings, asking that you would be pleased to build your kingdom for the sake of your glory. Amen.